Welcome back to the Rehab Inc. podcast. My name is Bernice and I'm a second year student in the physical therapy program at the University of Toronto. Throughout my program, I've had the chance to learn about and work alongside many occupational therapists or OTs. However, before starting school, I really didn't know who they were or what they did. So in today's episode, we'd like to spotlight the OT profession and give our listeners a chance to learn about the important role that they play. Today I'm joined by Allie Thompson, who is a second-year PhD student here at the Rehabilitation Sciences Institute at the University of Toronto, and also a recent graduate of U of T's Master of Science in Occupational Therapy program. Drawing on her training in occupational therapy, her PhD work aims to develop a mobile health intervention for community-based stroke rehab, which combines theory around self-management support with evidence-based stroke best practice guidelines and lived experience from multiple stakeholder groups. Outside of her thesis work, she's involved in a number of research projects and committees related to student mental health, and is also a senior editor at Rehab Inc. Thanks for joining me today, Allie. My pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, keeping you inside during this like really sunny day. <laughs> I'm going out right after this. <laughs> yeah, same. Okay, so just to start off for our listeners, for anyone that doesn't know what occupational therapy or OT is, can you just give like a brief nutshell description of what OT is? Of course, I've been practicing this since being in the OT program. Not a lot of people know what OT is, and that's fair. So I'm just going to quote the Canadian Association of Occupational Therapists here, the official definition. Occupational therapy is a type of healthcare that helps to solve the problems that interfere with a person's ability to do things that are important to them. So everyday things like what OTs consider to be categorized into self-care activities, productivity activities, and then leisure activities. And so OTs help people of all abilities to do those sorts of things. People's conditions and impairments can be variable, but the overarching goal is to help people participate and engage in any sort of activity in life, whether it be self-care, productivity, and leisure, no matter their health condition. And I think the confusion with what OT is or what OTs do really comes from the word occupation, of course. And people joke, I don't need a new job. Like, what? I don't need an OT then, because occupation obviously mm-hmm. implies job. But what OTs are referring to with the word occupation is more what occupies your time. And just thinking about the very broadly, like literally anything we do will occupy our time in a day. And OTs want to help people do the sorts of things that they need, want, and love to do in a day. Do you think that helps clarify your understanding of it? Yeah, I think so. Definitely for me. So I think for other people as well. So it's like a really big range because you said activities that you do throughout your day, like activities of daily living. Yes. Anything to do with work or hobbies and stuff. All that would be included. Exactly. Yes. Basically everything that someone would do in their life. That's, I guess, why it's hard to have the elevator pitch and also fully grasp what OTs do. My sister still struggles with defining it. If you had to describe it in five words or less what words would you choose okay so when i thought about this question i kind of wanted to cheat a little bit i'm going to use three acronyms so it kind of has many words within these words one is the icf model framework and then two is the peo model and then three is the cmope or c M-O-P-E. These are all sort of models or frameworks that describe or think about health and functioning disability in terms of a really holistic approach that involves 
the environment, the person, and activities. The ICF is a framework outside of OT that you're probably very familiar with. Everybody in rehab is very familiar with. Oh yeah, for sure. And it includes things like activity and participation, as well as body structure and function, and consider all those pieces on top of environmental factors when thinking about somebody's health condition. And then the PEO, or the Person Environment Occupation Model, is a really famous model in occupational therapy. And it talks about how occupational performance, which we think is related to health, is at the intersection of person factors, environment factors, and occupation factors. Environment also can mean the structural environment, the social environment, etc. And then similarly, that third model I mentioned, the Canadian model of occupational performance and engagement is also an occupational model, and think which like also explains how occupational performance is at that intersection of the person, environment, and occupation. I wanted to provide these three models in case there's any listeners out there who are thinking about applying to OT and you're not sure what to include in your application. I'd say reviewing the ICF, the PEO, and the CMOPI would definitely be a really good start for you to kind of get a sense of the holistic nature of occupational therapy and its focus on doing and its relation to health. So maybe that was a little bit more catered to the prospective students. Good answer. That was like a good segue to the next section. But going back to the five words, not to put you on the spot or anything, but if you could pick something that's not an acronym, like a lay person word. Right. My two summary words for those models would be holistic and doing. One, because holistic captures the fact that our lens or like our frame of reference is always interacting the person, the environment, the occupation together and thinking about health and that interactive kind of holistic approach and then doing because I think the concept of doing is somewhat easier to grasp than occupation. It's what makes our profession unique in comparison to other rehab professions with a focus on doing. Okay. So the holistic and doing is like the main focus of OT. In my opinion. <laughs> is there another word that comes to mind from you through your experience being on placement as a PT student? For me, placement, it was in acute care. So I did work very closely with OTs, but what I work with them mostly on was they did a lot of seating for wheelchair, which helps the patient in their act of doing something. Right. Yes. Yeah. Is, that, is that correct? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. But a lot of the times the healthcare team, they always referred someone to OT and PT together because I think most, even in healthcare, most people don't know there's a difference between the two. Why would someone need to see an OT and not a PT for a certain situation? I've heard about this one way to differentiate the two. PT would help you walk and then OT would help you dance or something where it's more of like an activity focus. Mm -hmm. I mean, for us in like physio, we always aim for patient centered goals. So they always ask us when we're setting goals for people, it's not only being able to walk like 100 meters, it's because they want to walk to the grocery store, frame it like that. So would OT be more focused on the act of going to the grocery store? Yes. <laughs> it's hard to define because it just varies so much according to the context and the practice setting. Mm -hmm. Because in one setting, maybe if there's other disciplines aren't addressing cognition as much or social aspects, then the OT will definitely fill in those gaps. Whereas if a team is really staffed really well with social work or a neuropsychologist, and it'd be like OT would do a little bit less than that and then find another gap in the person's holistic care. It's very fluid. <laughs> okay. I kind of got the sense of that fluency speaking to other students in the current OT program during our interprofessional 
events that we have with U of T for all the healthcare students. So mm-hmm. they were talking about all the different placements and stuff they had. And to me, I wasn't previously aware of all the different settings that OTs could work in. So would you be able to give a summary of all the different settings? Just because for me, I've only been exposed to it in hospital settings. I actually didn't know that they work in private practices too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the hospital, there's the typical one, private practice. There's also like a lot of role emerging placements happening at U of T and probably other universities. My close friend in the OT program, she worked at OCAD doing something around inclusive design. So that's an emerging space. I did a research project on workplace mental health. Some OTs are like working at the organizational level, thinking about how to promote mental health across the whole workplace. So like working with the organization, not the just the individual. So that's getting very specific. Anyway, so I think hospital, private, and then there's just this huge category of role emerging where OTs are starting to apply to jobs where they aren't actually called occupational therapist on the job posting, but it might be like disability specialist or return to work specialist or inclusive design specialist or something. Does that sound different from PT? It does because I've never heard of like the whole role emerging aspect. Oh. Yeah, because it sounds like you can just fill in a lot of gaps like wherever it's needed. And it's not like a specific set role that you just apply for. Yeah. But I have heard about a lot of OTs, they work with psychologists. Mm. So is that part of the private practice space? I know my close friend... She did a a role emerging actually placement at a psychology clinic where there was no OTs already working there. So then she just went in as an OT student and kind of created the role for herself in collaboration with the, I'm assuming, interdisciplinary team to kind of figure out how OT could add a different perspective to, I think, dominantly a psychology clinic. Mm -hmm. Did she mention what exactly she did on a day-to-day basis? Like what was her role with the patients that were going to the psychology clinic? I think if I remember correctly, she was doing something around emotion focused therapy with children, which is interesting, because I think that's something that also, of course, could be done by a variety of professionals, because psychotherapy is something that is an act that can be performed by, of course, like psychotherapists, and also social workers can be considered psychotherapists and OTs. So there's some overlap with psychotherapy. But I'm sure that on her placement, to kind of define the OT role as unique, she would take a very activities of daily living focus in her goals with clients. Yeah, it's really cool how she got to do that for herself. Yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) It definitely is. Like the future of rehab, basically filling in wherever we find the gaps. Exactly. So just going back to students that are considering applying to OT, Mm -hmm. for you thinking back to after undergrad, What made you choose to apply to OT as opposed to other rehab professions such as PT or SLP? And I'm just assuming that you didn't, unless you applied to all of them, you just chose OT. But (laughs) I love this question because it's so confusing in undergrad. I think I've just been considering some sort of healthcare profession since high school. I was in career class, was interested in pharmacy, and then later in high school, was really into psychology. And then in undergrad, I went through phases of like going back and forth between psychology and like medicine right but then I actually babysat for this woman who is an OTA PTA or I'll define that acronym the occupational therapy or physiomedical therapy assistant and I just got to talking to her about her work and then she ended up facilitating conversation with an OT and then I shadowed a few few OTs and then I was very intrigued by their passion for what they do and if anybody's talked to an OT ever 
if you ask them what OT is or if they should go into OT, you'll see that their faces just like light up because it's such a small community and everybody loves to talk about it. So their passion was very fascinating, intriguing to me. So then I started looking to it. I think what really sold me was the focus of the profession on meaning and purpose. And I didn't see that anywhere else, kind of like the main focus of other professions. And that's something that is just completely rusty. I can't go back from that. It was just like very important to me. It always helps talking to someone that's in the field or seeing the passion that they have when mm-hmm. they talk about it. Yeah, they're so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is a good sign. <laughs> and I'm sure that helps with your applications then too, if you actually know about what the program is and how it differentiates from others. Definitely, yeah. Is there any topic, because I know you said that people in OT love talking about OT. Is there any specific topic <laughs> within that? Questions that you hate answering? It might be like, what is OT? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I guess it's what is OT. On one hand, it's frustrating because that just means that the profession, you know, has still ways to go in being well-known and in marketing ourselves. But then on the other hand, you still, like, can't help but be excited like the OTs I talked to when I was in undergrad and advocating for the profession. So it's my least favorite question, but also my most favorite question mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time. So if you were to better advocate for the OT profession, what methods do you think would work the best for it? As a PhD student, one of the reasons that I got interested in doing research was because I think research is one way of helping the profession advance and then hopefully become more well-known and respected by having a greater presence in the research community mm-hmm. as evidence-based medicine becomes so important. So my hope is that so on some level, I'll contribute to the advancement of how well-known our profession is, <laughs> the research. But of course, there's like many, many ways. Yeah, I feel like the first step is always just knowing that this is a service, I guess, that people can look into. Yeah. Since you did mention that you're in the PhD program, we can go into that topic now. <laughs> yeah, so from your intro, you're a second year PhD student at the Rehab Sciences Institute at U of T. So can you just briefly describe what you're doing in your PhD project? Of course. My research aims to answer this broad question, how can mobile health technology, or commonly referred to as mHealth, be used to enhance self-management support and quality of life for people living with stroke? And how I got into this is kind of a twofold thing. Firstly, when I was thinking about applying to the PhD program, I knew I was interested in brain injury, and so I started to read literature on research priorities in brain injury and rehab. And of course, advancing rehab interventions through technology was a highly rated priority. That was just kind of the background of my brainstorming around what I would propose in my PhD application. And then at the same time, I was on field work in my second year of the OT program, and I was on an inpatient stroke unit. And I could notice that patients and clinicians were incorporating and like integrating mobile technologies like smartphones or laptops, iPads into therapy in some way or another, but it was definitely not driven by research evidence or there was no guidelines to kind of direct that, but it was more like, for example, I saw speech therapists recommending speech therapy apps or during OT interventions where OTs were trying to help people figure out like where they would have problems in the community, you'd go over their daily activities. And of course, a huge part of our lives now are using phones to help you organize your life and communicate with your loved ones. Yeah. 
So cell phones would just kind of become a part of the ADL based therapy, just in a way that like, oh, let's see if you can, if you practice dialing, not nine one one, but practicing dialing your phones, like how can you use a cell phone right now is a huge indicator of how you'd function the community on, on one sense. I saw these sort of mobile technologies being used in rehab, but not in a systematic way. And combining those two ideas and looking more into literature, it does seem like there's a lot of emerging work on mobile health or mobile technologies in rehab. And specifically across different conditions, it looks like people are really interested and it looks pretty promising thinking about mobile health technology in terms of what is commonly called self-management support interventions, which broadly is an intervention that is about aiming at helping patients acquire the knowledge, confidence, and skills for self-management of their condition. That can look like things like having reminders on your phone to take your medication, for example, or using the phone as like a device to enhance collaboration with team members, thinking about your goals setting, reminders around your goals and rehab goals or potentially exercise reminders, exercise videos. Um, so really, it's lots of possibilities, and it seems like it's just the beginning of what could be a very promising addition to rehab therapy for stroke patients. So it's more than just using the cell phone. It's about how it can enhance exactly the yeah. therapy. Yeah. It's not about replacing. It's definitely, that's not the right approach, mm. um, but augmenting therapy. So my research aims to develop a mobile health-based intervention for self-management support for stroke in collaboration with a variety of stakeholders. I'm interested in working with stroke patients, clinicians, family members, and other stakeholders to co-design an intervention and what's in the exact methods I'm still sort of figuring out. But essentially, I'll be taking a user-centered design approach to co-design an intervention. Okay. The intervention in this case, would it be like an app? Or potentially some sort of platform that could be run on like a tablet or a phone. Potentially, yeah, yeah. I'll be doing interviews in the fall mm-hmm. to kind of interview patients, clinicians, and caregivers around needs for this sort of technology for self management, and also hopes, dreams. So we'll try to collect a bunch of ideas, a bunch of design requirements, and needs from people. Okay. Then narrow it down during like a co-design workshop kind of study into more of a solidified. Which technology, for example, like will it be a, a tablet? And then what is the content of the intervention, et cetera, will be then sorted out after um, the following studies. So I'm just trying to keep an open mind at this point without being too stuck in like, it's going to be an app. Because through listening to speakers in design research and reading literature and design research, it seems like it's good practice to keep an open mind and not be stuck on a particular technology device at the beginning, but to be open-minded as you go in and see where it takes you. Yeah, I do remember when I was doing my acute care placement, I do remember the OTs, they had like an iPad they would bring to go work with the patients. One in particular did have a stroke. This is what your project kind of reminded me of. (laughs) I didn't get too much information into like what exactly they did with the iPad. I think they were trying to get them to use their right arm more. So then to have them like touch something on the iPad, like a square that's a certain color. Oh, that's amazing. I'm smiling so hard right now. Glad to hear it. I feel like that's where your project's going to go in the future. (laughs) After you finished the OT program, what year did you finish in? I graduated the OT program in 2019 and then entered the the PhD program at RSI right after in the fall of 2019. Okay. What made you pursue that directly? 
after finishing the OT program as opposed to working for a couple of years. Because I know a lot of people like that do go back into their PhD. It's because they've worked for a couple of years and they saw something while they were working, which inspired them. So what made you very certain that that was the next step that you wanted to take? Yeah, this is a common question. And I get when I talk to students who are thinking about pursuing potentially researcher. Of course, there's no right answer. And either way, you can be super successful. Most people, I think, my friends in the program did work a bit before entering. So if you do take that approach, you're in good company. But my decision to do it was based on one momentum, just being in school. Also, secondly, connections. Like I was already building connections with my supervisors in the OT program. And so I thought it made sense to just keep up with that while I'm connected with them and have the momentum. And I, cause I felt like I would come back eventually. So as much as I loved the idea of having a question based on my clinical experience, I didn't know where it'd be working and if where I got a job right after would be the area of research I'd even want to be in. So connections and momentum okay. <laughs> is what I think. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think someone told me once, oh, like once you leave school, it's really hard to go back in. <laughs> That's what I've heard as well. But people do. They come back. Yeah. If it's in your heart, you'll come back. Yeah, I agree with that too. I took two years off after undergrad and then I went to PT. So I guess yeah. like, it still yeah. works out if you really wanted yeah. to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So did you know your supervisors in the OT program? Like were they professors in it? I, my OT project actually was with a different professor. When I entered the OT program, I wasn't sure if I, I was always kind of debating a PhD in the background and then in terms of my topic area, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be more focused on mental health or more like cognitive rehab. So then I did my OT project during the OT program was on mental health. I really enjoyed the research experience and, and the project in general. But then mm -hmm. being on placements, I had a mental health placement and also a stroke placement. And the stroke placement really made it feel like that was kind of the direction I wanted to go. So based on placement experience, but then I also I knew my supervisor from being on the OT research committee, my faculty supervisor, Dr. Emily Nalder, she was also on that committee. And so I got to know her through that. And um, we were chatting about it casually. And then it felt like a great fit. And I'm really happy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like one thing kind of led to another and then you just kind of go with the flow. Yep, that's how everybody says it happens. And it's true. Mm -hmm. If you weren't doing the PhD right now and like you decided to go work, is there a particular area that resonates most with you? I really, really enjoyed the stroke placement. I know it's hard to get your dream job after OT or PT school. So I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have expected to be like anywhere close to my dream job right after graduating, but I'd be definitely like working towards probably like some sort of neuro job. Okay. So like the stroke unit in like an acute hospital, basically? Like a rehab hospital. Okay. I like that setting. Yeah. Was that the setting that you had the original, like your stroke placement in the rehab? It was an inpatient stroke unit. Yeah. Okay. So like post-acute, it's in between like the acute stroke and then right before people go back to the communities. Did you ever debate working part-time while also doing the PhD or do you think that would be too heavy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of my PT friends in the PhD program do work. It was definitely possible. And I went in being like, that's what I'm going to do, like keep up my clinical skills so I don't want them to get rusty. But at the minute, I feel so busy already and just kudos to everybody who does that. But I maybe at the end, maybe if somehow I have more time, I don't know. Yeah, it already, it already seems like a lot. Yeah. Is that a fear though? Not practicing clinically? 
it was more of a fear like when I was exiting the OT program because now I just I have more faith and confidence in myself in general imposter syndrome you know a lot of grad students experience it but I feel like it was a lot more intense when I was in the OT program I'm still registered and like keeping it up in one sense like doing research and stuff it all counts yeah, I guess it's kind of like riding a bike. You, know, like, yeah. you, you already learned yeah. it, so you just have to like relearn it when you go back. And I'm and lots of it is like on the job training. Yeah, every setting is so different. Is there any specific advice that you've given to people that have asked you similar questions about going directly from their clinical professional program directly into a research grad program? I just tell people to follow their gut. So I don't know how helpful it is, but I think that's really the only answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's uh, the, the safest answer. <laughs> you can be successful either way. Yeah. Yeah, I think either way, something will work out in the future. If there was one thing that you'd like to change about the OT profession, whether you learned it through your school, the placements, or currently in the research that you're doing, what would it be? What? I really want to see change and what was partly motivated me to pursue a PhD was my hope is that there will be a greater presence of OTs in research to advance their profession in evidence-based medicine. And because I know when I was in the OT program, a good proportion of the research that we'd be using to base our interventions off of, to base what we do, a lot of the times it's not necessarily led by OTs. Not to say that, it, like, of course, there's lots of OTs in research still, but I think it's around only 1% of the profession is in research. Mm-hmm. So I'd, just, I'd love to see that increase to advance our reputation. We have a very important lens to bring to research, and researchers in rehab are just amazing people. So if anybody listening out there is interested, or even just slightly interested, scared to think about it, but like kind of interested, feel free to email me. I would love to chat. I love trying to convince OT students to pursue research after the clinical program. Any closing comments or remarks that you'd like to give to any listeners out there, whether they be students debating to apply to OT or anyone trying to go to do like a graduate program after they're finished their professional degree? OT is just a very, it's, we base all of our theory and like interventions around being a holistic healthcare provider and filling in gaps and also collaborating with other professions. So if that sort of holistic, collaborative, client-centered focus on meaning, purpose, any of those sorts of ideas resonate with you, I'd say look into OT. It might be a good fit for you. And there's lots of, as I was saying earlier, space for emerging roles. So the job prospects are looking good. I hope that I've shared my passion. Just like when I was in high school and I ta- or in undergrad, I talked to an OT. OTs are great people and really fun to be in this profession. We can always reach out no matter what stage you're at in your, your journey into thinking about OT. I'm happy to chat. That's it for my trying to sell OT, but thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Bernice. No, thanks for sharing. I, I learned a lot. Thanks for spending your afternoon chatting. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rehab Inc. podcast. Please subscribe, like, and follow us on our social media. You can find the Rehab Inc. podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or on our website at rehabincmag.com slash podcast. That's R-E-H-A-B-I-N-K-M-A-G dot com slash podcast.